You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Tawqeet Tanweer. Uh, Imam Farid Ahmed and myself, Walid Ahmed. The time is uh, uh, three minutes past seven and it is uh, Friday the 23rd of December 2022. As always, we have a very packed show this morning on the breakfast show uh, this Friday. Uh, and it is an interactive broadcast. It means that all our listeners have the opportunity to join in any of the discussions taking place during the course of this program. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, dial 0208-687-7878, and share your thoughts with us. Alternatively, you can tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK, and that's the Twitter handle. Uh, and uh, we'll be uh, giving a rundown of uh, what's uh, to follow during uh, these two hours that we'll be broadcasting in a few seconds. Uh, that's uh, after uh, the uh, weather as far as uh, the BBC is concerned, uh, the weather outlook uh, today is um, going to be rain. Uh, so we will be seeing a band of rain, uh, it's predicted, pushing north-eastwards across England, Wales and Northern Ireland, which will be uh, heavy in places. Scotland will be mostly cloudy with a few scattered showers. Uh, later on tonight, uh, the rain will continue to push uh, northwards across northern England and Scotland, which will turn to sleet and snow on the high ground. Uh, further south, the, uh, there will be clear spells and isolated showers. So that's the uh, weather forecast. Now, as far as the rundown of what uh, we have in store for these two hours, as far as that is concerned, well... Uh, those familiar with the show will know that uh, we have two topics that we normally deal with. Uh, the first is, uh, if I can uh, put it this way, a topical topic. Uh, the festive season is upon us and we'll be discussing this with a particular angle in mind. Uh, the title of the subject is Questioning the Very Nature of Christmas and Posing the Question, Non-Christians at Christmas, Should Non-Christians Celebrate Christmas? So that's the title of our first subject that uh, we will be addressing. And uh, in uh, addressing this, we spoke to Dexter Peggins Jr. Uh, and we'll be sharing what he had to say later on in this program. We recorded uh, his thoughts on this. Uh, Dexter is, among other things, a veteran, uh, a minister and business owner. And uh, we also expect to talk to Reverend Deborah Foreman uh, this morning. Uh, Reverend Foreman is a vicar of St. Mary's in Addington and area dean of Croydon. So uh, that's something we'll be covering between 7.30 to 8.15. And uh, if you're interested in the subject, make sure you do remain tuned in, in that uh, during that slot. Uh, moving on to the uh, second main topic, it is about the great football event which we have just had at the FIFA World Cup. Um, it has been uh, arguably the best World Cup ever, so uh, the uh, president of FIFA has uh, declared. Uh, but it has also been noteworthy for other reasons, uh, and this is indicated in the second of main topics that uh, we're going to be addressing. And uh, the title of this topic is Women Make History with First Ever All-Women Referee Team Taking Charge at Men's uh, World Cup. So we'll be looking at this uh, particular topic from 8.15 uh, 
AM onwards, and hope to be joined in joined by CEO of the Women uh, in Sport. Uh, that's Stephanie Hoborn. So we'll be talking to her, uh, addressing this particular topic uh, from 8:15 to 9 o'clock. So lots to do, lots to cover, and as always, we should have a full review of the Islamic angle to all we discuss from our leading Imam and boss Imam Keith and Veer and Imam Farid Ahmed. Um, and uh, as always, uh, during the first half hour of the program, we've been looking at some of the stories uh, that are circulating around in the wider media and also some of the stories that are particularly relevant to the Ahmadi Muslim community and what is happening um, in uh, within the organization here as well. Now, uh, Coming to these uh, topics, I suppose one of the um, um, subjects that we can uh, talk about is uh, the cold weather and the fear, the need to um, get together uh, during these times. So one of the initiatives that the community has started is uh, to introduce warm rooms. They've started certainly here at uh, Battle for Two, uh, from where we're broadcasting, uh, and uh, on three days of the week, uh, from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, these warm rooms are uh, open and available to all that uh, want to have access to them. Um, and uh, it has uh, been quite become quite popular. People gather, uh, exchange views, and there's some light refreshments as well. So this is something that has been recently started here, and it is also an initiative that is going to be, uh, if not started elsewhere, will be started at other uh, mosques around the country. So that's a, a very good um, initiative that has been started recently and very popular one. Another initiative, initiative is, is the introduction of food banks. Again, there is uh, that that has um, begun here at, at Bathofuthu. And uh, we hope that uh, in the current uh, crisis that uh, we are passing through, they will prove to be very useful for those people who are finding themselves in hard, hard times and finding it difficult to make ends meet. So it's a, a very welcome initiative. And the food banks are open not just to members of the community, but uh, to anyone who, who is in need. Um, and if uh, people want uh, to gain more information about that, then they're welcome to call um, the uh, the community at Bethavatu uh, and uh, seek further information, should that be required. Imam uh, Takis, salam alaikum. Glad to see you again. Walaikum <laughs> salam. Uh, I'm glad to see you too. Um, <laughs> hope you're feeling better now. I'm feeling better, but I'm uh, very concerned and on tender hooks in case I get this bout of coughing that may spoil mm. your flow. That's, so that's why I thought I'll wear a bright yellow today coming ah. into the studio. <laughs> Bring some bright colours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Um, good idea. I hope it works. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so as uh, mentioned by Brother Walid, we have a great pack show for our listeners today. Um, and uh, as you know, the agenda of the show, the first half an hour to 20 minutes of the show, we like to run down some of the current news which is happening around the world and with regards to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. And uh, personally, I do like to cover the virtual sitting His Holiness has 
with the member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community around the world. And uh, <coughs> one such uh, virtual meeting His Holiness had was with the Ahmadiyya Muslim Children's Auxiliary um, and Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, <coughs> Women's Auxiliary from Belgium. Um, and this had taken place on the 11th of December 2022. Um, uh, so His Holiness uh, held a virtual online meeting with the Ahmadiyya Muslim Children's Auxiliary and Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Auxiliary from Belgium. And His Holiness presided the meeting from MTA Studios in Islamabad in Tilford Wireless, the uh, the members had joined the meeting virtually from the Betul Mujib Mosque um, in Brussels. And following a formal session which began with the recitation of the Holy Quran, the attendees had the opportunity to ask His Holiness a range of questions regarding their faith and contemporary issues. And uh, one uh, such member mentioned uh, that she had seen the documentary Four Days Without a Shepherd uh, on MTA which covered the story uh, of how His Holiness was falsely imprisoned due to his faith in Pakistan as part of the persecution and the Muslim face in the country and she said that His Holiness looked completely calm during the imprisonment despite the terrible condition and she asked how he gained the strength <coughs> to bear the hardship in such a manner and to this his holiness replied that it was Allah who gave the strength and I knew that uh, I was being imprisoned for the sake of Allah so I did not need to worry and when you do something for the sake of Allah then you should leave the matter in the hands of Allah so Allah gave me the strength and granted us freedom and we did not need to do anything to try and get out of jail uh, so that was a very beautiful answer his Holiness gave to to this question and also one such member inquired from his holiness about the wisdom of why Muslims turned to their right and left to say greetings of peace when they finished their prayer and his holiness gave a very beautiful answer to this and he said that we do so because when we leave the presence of God not only do we convey our message of farewell to the prayer but we also convey peace to people on our left and right. Um, and we send peace upon them. And it is so that it creates that sense within us that we must live in peace with people who live alongside. And we must make our atmosphere filled with peace. That uh, we must not fight anyone and we should not become enemies of one another. And, you know, such a beautiful answer. I actually learned something very new um, by this answer that His Holiness said that when uh, when you're finishing your prayer, the reason why we turn left and right and we say the greetings of peace uh, is that uh, so that message is inculcated that uh, we should also be spreading peace within our atmosphere not only should we be developing that relationship with god almighty but even within our atmospheres even to our neighbors we should be uh, spreading that salutation of peace and uh, creating a harmonious society so we say the greetings of peace on our left and our right and uh, it's, it's such a beautiful aspect of the prayer itself um, that you know every form of prayer that you would look at there is great wisdom behind it. And just like as you do finish the prayer, this is one of those 
great wisdoms behind even prayer. Um, and also one of the members asked His Holiness why children starve in Africa and poor countries when he said when he said that he is the provider. So the question is that why why are the children starving in Africa and other poor countries where God Almighty He Himself He He has said in the Holy Quran that He Himself is the provider. And answering this His Holiness said that and I quote that people go through trials in this life. And for instance, as part of the law of nature, there are droughts that occur and so they are bound to have an impact upon people. And sometimes people themselves also become incapable of making the right decision. Um, and on other occasions, the governments are dishonest. Um, and so they devour the wealth of their nation without a care for the people. So if people are dying in Africa, it should also be seen that the governments in those countries do not fulfill the rights of their people. And secondly, world has also now become a global village. The food we waste, for instance, in Europe, uh, where there is an extraordinary amount of food that is wa- that is wa- wasted, if that food is distributed um, in Africa with all sincerity, without any vested interest, then much of the hungry hunger will be removed. And if we share what we have and distribute the food Allah has provided us, then no one will die of hunger and Allah has provided the food for us but it is our mismanagement of the resources which causes it to be diminished and the natural consequences of that is children, women and elderly starve but the blame cannot be put on God for this even today the food in the world is enough to feed all people of the earth so another very um, beautiful answer to that uh, I mean, we, we've covered the subject of poverty many, many times here on the studio Voice of Islam. Uh, I wanted to mention, uh, Brother Billy, that there's also a very, uh, very, uh, in, very beneficial benefit app called uh, Olio, and uh, this is an app if your if your food is being, you know, if you have some food left over and instead of maybe throwing it away, you think someone can benefit of it. So this app is used where you can uh, post it amongst your neighbors and within the neighbor, whoever is uh, wh- whoever needs the food, they can just simply come and mm-hmm. collect the food from you. So, um, you know, the, the great initiative there. Uh, we, we did have uh, the, the person, you know, the CEO of this company come on the show as well. Mm-hmm. So I do wanted to mention that again, uh, some mm-hmm. great initiatives as well. If if we do look into it, you know, if mm-hmm. we do want to look into the, the aspect of helping others, there are many ways. Mm-hmm. So what's the contact you mentioned? Olio? Yes, it is called Olio, O-L-I-O. And uh, with this app. Oh, it's um, an app. Okay. Yeah, it's an app. Uh, it's, it's a company. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a company itself, but uh, uh, this is also one way of uh, how uh, you know you can benefit when it pr- uh, mm-hmm. within the society through the app. Right. Uh, you can upload food rather mm-hmm. than you know throwing it away um, mm-hmm. if it's good edible food. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people can benefit from it as okay. well and uh, okay. uh, just take that from you. So very very simple. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that yeah that was it from mm. the virtual meetings. His Holiness uh, has, and this I was reading out from pressamadia.com. 
so do check pressmdia.com uh, uh, out for the latest press releases of His Holiness. And also you can go on uh, the YouTube channel MTA News where they also uh, feature snippets of these virtual sittings as well. Very, very beneficial to, to everyone. So I wanted to mention that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, on to something a bit more lighter. Um, there is, we've been covering the uh, cream jam scone debate. Uh, and uh, the Cornwall Live, I suppose it's a radio station, decided to get an A1 chatbot to settle the debate as part of a series of tricky questions as opposed to the sophisticated bots which simulate uh, human intelligence to come up with unique answers to just about any question you can think of, making it seem as though you're talking to a real person. So there were are so this particular bot um, is supposed to be uh, all all knowing, so to so to speak, was asked uh, what should come first on a scone, uh, should it be the cream or should it be the jam, and uh, the A1 first acknowledged that people have mixed opinions on the matter, before giving a definitive answer uh, that will make uh, some very angry and some very happy. Um, and uh, it adjudicated that cream should go on first on a scone with jam on top. And it uh, uh, validated its answer, or it explained its answer, uh, saying that um, the cream acts as a glue to hold the jam in place, as well as keeping the scone moist. So this is the verdict of uh, this intelligent, some would say unintelligent, if they don't agree with what it's uh, concluded. But uh, this is the verdict as to what should go on first. In Devon, uh, it's customary to put the cream on first and then the jam. So that's what the uh, robot supported. While people from Cornwall, who perhaps would not be happy with this uh, particular conclusion, uh, tell you that it's strictly taboo. Uh, that the that and that uh, the jam should always go before the cream. So I know that uh, our boss KB also had a view. I can't remember what it was now, but um, uh, we'll see whether he is listening and whether he wants to uh, enter this debate. But as far <laughs> as the verdict of the um, computer is concerned, it's uh, the cream that goes on first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, on to what there was this thing. Um, I just wanted to, um, because I mean, it's just recent that the uh, World Cup has finished, and uh, just wanted to make a couple of comments on that. I mean, after much bad, bad press in the Western media, uh, the Qatar World Cup was claimed to be the best uh, World Cup ever, certainly according to the president Gianni Infantino. I, must, uh, I mentioned this earlier as well. And, uh, we have to acknowledge, uh, and it has been acknowledged by many others that uh, there are many good points that can be drawn from this particular event. Uh, the ban on alcohol, for example, in the, sta- in the sta- stadium meant that games were watched by opposing fans in good spirits. There were no fights. And surprisingly, uh, none of the English and Welsh fans uh, were arrested. Now, that's a rarity and must be, must be welcomed. Mm. Um, the organization also was praised. Um, due to the small area the entire event was held. It meant that teams could stay in the same location throughout and fans did not have to travel scores of miles in order to watch their favorite teams. And I suppose what topped it all was the final, which was uh, truly a spectacle fitting for an excellent World Cup. 
Argentina cruising to a 2-0 win only to be hit in the last 12 minutes with Mbappe's brace, the second volley worthy of winning any cup final. But it wasn't to be for the France, uh, with Messi apparently squeezing in the winner in extra time. And Argentina again uh, being packed back with a French penalty, converted by who else but uh, the rising star of uh, of football, uh, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, The contest was eventually decided on penalties. Messi lovers all over the world, and I've got one in my home, by the way, uh, were relieved that at last the five-time World Cup player had achieved his pinnacle and won the trophy with his team. Mm. Uh, not much left for him to win now, and uh, and it's time for him to make u- way for the youth to come through like the um, French talisman we've been talking about. And certain emerging players, uh, people are talking about Pedri uh, from Spain, uh, Musiala from Germany, and dare I say, our own Jude Bellingham. In all this... Um, um, you know, we mustn't forget the rise of the first African and Arab team to reach the semi-finals, Morocco. And it was also refreshing to see how they celebrated involving uh, their relatives, not any relative, but their mothers. And uh, it seemed to reinforce the teaching of Islam in the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, and advised that for all the relations, it was the mother that had the greatest right over you. And this was further exemplified when the King of Morocco, Mohammed VI, uh, in uh, granting awards to each of the players, did so in the company of the players' mothers, who were also invented, uh, invited at the ceremony. So all in all, it was a good good event uh, that took place. It was it four weeks? A lot of excitement. And uh, yeah, it, it felt like it is. It went so quick. Yes, uh, you know, it, the, the, it was so exciting. Mm. Um, some of the matches. Mm. Um, you know, certainly, I think everyone uh, at work where, where I was working, we were all following it. Mm. We all uh, had uh, made predictions of who we thought would go yeah. into the final. Mm. Um, obviously, for England as well, we we didn't get the win against France no. um, in in the in the quarterfinals. But uh, <coughs> I think it's a great uh, learning uh, learning curve for England as well. Um, you know, with young players uh, getting so far into the quarterfinals. And, you know, what I've seen from England now is that uh, we're always making it into the uh, last last eight or, mm. or at least the quarterfinals, yeah. you know, um, even in the Euros. And last World Cup as well, uh, England did really well. So I, I think we just need a few more adjustments here, to be mm. honest, and mm. uh, we're, we're good to go. And you know we we can say f- uh, uh that we lost to the winning uh, almost to the ru- yes. runners up um yeah. you know though yeah. I, I think this is something we should uh, take on board mm-hmm. but uh, great great display great display of uh, talent um mm. on the world cup and and i i must mention over here you know as there were issues as well that uh, <coughs> people were also criticizing that you know because alcohol would not be served within the stadium um, and uh, it just goes to show you um, how important it is. Uh, as as you know, as you mentioned, that there were no fires there. There wasn't any domestic issue, no, like no. Uh, no fight broke out. And you know, one one of the reason uh, usually when a lot of this violence is erupted is the intoxication of alcohol, and mm. uh, that is why the mm. you know the Holy Prophet peace be upon him as well. Um, called uh, this uh, evil as Umul Khabais, the mother of mother of all evils. 
um, that someone who is under the intoxication of alcohol, you know, they they make decisions uh, where they are not in their full sense. And this is what the term, uh, as in the Holy Quran, the word khamar is used. And khamar, the literal meaning of khamar is that uh, something which causes intoxication or something which, uh, you know, which which uh, impairs your abilities, your your daily making skills. It has an effect on it. So, um, I I would say that a great great decision from Qatar itself not yeah. to 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 ban the alcohol. Mm. Um, and the ladies also say that they felt very safe as mm. well because the atmosphere was very peaceful, wasn't tarnished with alcohol, which as you mentioned. Uh, leads to people behaving in a way that would not be normal. Absolutely. Mm. Um, who, who was you, who were you uh, rooting for? Were you rooting for um, England all the way, or was it Argentina or Brazil? Well, England, no, Brazil. No, uh, that's the team that I think should have gone got to the final. Okay. Uh, so I missed. Uh, I missed. Yes, I, I missed them not being in, mm. in the final. But. Uh, but um, and it's surprising how many uh, established teams didn't make it either, like Belgium and uh, and Germany that got knocked out uh, early, uh, did not get through the um, through the uh, group stages. So that was quite surprising. You know, I've never seen a final that interesting. <laughs> no, yes. I've I've not seen a final where mm. you could say that this was the best match of the tournament. Mm. But for for this one against France and Argentina, yeah. you know, I've I've heard from other people as well. They've said that they particularly thought that this was the best match of the tournament. Mm. Mm. Um, some people even said that you know this is the best match they've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so it, I I think it was it was uh, I w- I really enjoyed it. Um, mm. Mm. It was a great display of talents. Mm. Certainly, certainly. Anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. Right. Um, there's one other sto- story. Um, this is um, earlier this week. Um, the High Court ruled that the government's plan to deport migrants to Rwanda was lawful, and it don't it did not breach the UN's uh, Refugee Convention or, or human rights or human rights laws. Uh, it did, however, stipulate the court did that the cases of eight asylum seekers needed to be properly considered. Uh, Despite this criticism, the verdict of the Home Office must have been music to the ears of our Home Secretary at one time. She had said that it was her dream or obsession to see a plane taking off to Rwanda. Uh, It's not going to be easy uh, despite the High Court's ruling. A hearing will take place next month to deal with any special applications. And there are likely to be further challenges, but the Home Secretary is determined to make the policy work. The opposition are not so sure. Criticizing the government's decision to progress with plans, uh, Labour's shadow Home Secretary called the policy unworkable, extortionate, and deeply damaging. She said instead of sorting out problems with the asylum system, the Conservatives have put forward a plan which risks making trafficking worse. And... uh, Alison Thewlis, the uh, SNP's Home Affairs spokesman at Westminster, called the Rwanda plan deeply immoral, pointing out to the House of Commons uh, that uh, those fleeing war, war, famine and oppression deserve and need our full support. Claire Mosley, founder of the refugee charity Care for Calais, called the decision on Monday disappointing, stating 
that, uh, let me see where I am, stating that people who have suffered the horrors of war, torture and human rights abuses should not be faced with the immense trauma of deportation to a future where we cannot guarantee their safety. And uh, Josie Norton, chief executive of migrant charity Choose Love, said <coughs> the ruling flies in the face of international commitments and accountability. Um, the worrying aspect of this issue is that if the flight to Rwanda is to deter asylum seekers from coming to our shores, then it quite clearly exposes the hollowness, the hollowness of our claim of compassion and uh, offering refuge for the persecuted and drowned, downtrodden in the world. Uh, we are not so large-hearted after all when those who are beaten or off all kinds of misery in coming to us seeking refuge are then carted off to Rwanda to obtain that security that they are uh, striving for or craving for. It doesn't feel right. don't know what your views are. But uh, if uh, you have a view to express or thought to share on this particular issue, then please do ring 0208-687-7878. Or you can uh, tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Now, um, it's time that we moved on and uh, looked at the first of our main topics. Uh, this is regarding uh, what we, what many are going to be celebrating around us, which is um, the uh, Christmas uh, festival or the Christmas uh, celebrations and um, uh, the title of this subject uh, that we're going to be uh, uh, looking at is non-Christians at Christmas should non-Christians celebrate Christmas uh, now tomorrow 24th of December will be the last day of the Christian Advent time in which Christians prepare for the coming of Jesus uh, in this segment, therefore, we will look at Christmas celebrations and raise the question whether non-Christians should celebrate Christmas in the spirit of uh, the holidays. And uh, as mentioned before, uh, our contact number is 0208-687-7878. If you have a view or have an opinion that you want to share, then please uh, call us or you can uh, leave a comment uh, via Twitter at Voice of Islam UK. And now, the Pew research found, this is something that we picked up from, from the Pew website, in fact. And now, this research found that Christians in the United States celebrate Christmas, but also testify to the holiday's wide acceptance by non-Christians. Uh, these groups' uh, events consist of 87% of atheists and agnostics. Uh, there are also uh, religious groups who join in the Christmas celebration. Uh, the 2012 Pew Research Survey found 67% of Buddhists, 73% of Hindus celebrate Christmas. And a more recent survey showed that around 32% of Jews also had a tree placed in their homes. The news also showed that some American Muslims celebrate some aspects of Christmas. Um, according to the latest survey, uh, most uh, non-Christians and non-Christmas celebrate um, Christmas mostly as a holiday. This is a holiday for a cultural reason instead of a religion, religious one. Although Christians and non-Christians alike celebrate Christmas, the new survey shows they have uh, differing views of the holiday. 
Two-thirds of Christians, around 65%, say Christmas is mostly a religious holiday, while most non-Christians say that the holiday is more of a cultural event than a religious occasion. Uh, The American religious landscape has become more diverse in recent years. Christians have dropped from 78% of U.S. adults in 2007 to 73% in 2012. Over the same five-year period, the proportion of adults who identify with non-Christian faiths has increased by about half from 4 to 6% of all U.S. adults, and the ranks of the unaffiliated have increased by a third, from 15% to 20% of all adults. Imam Tokyo, anything uh, you want to add? Yes, uh, I mean... uh we are just uh, shortly waiting for our guest to come on, mm-hmm. uh, Reverend Deborah Foreman, um, you know, who will give the English perspective on this mm-hmm. uh, particular subject. Uh, I mean, I, I do believe that we are joined uh, by her. So, uh, Imam, uh, Brother Reed, I'll pass yeah. the mic on to you. To Thank you very much. Uh, right, uh, Reverend Foreman, are you, are you with us? I am indeed, yes. Oh, thank, you very much, thank, you. Uh, thank you very much for j- coming on to the show. Um, m- many Christians and non-Christians celebrate Christmas. However, they have different views of the holiday. Many view uh, this uh, particular event as a religious holiday, while, while others consider it to be a cultural event. Uh, what are your views on this? Um, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, although I, what I would say is that um, the the story of Christmas, the birth of, of Jesus, is one that is quite embedded in people's perspective. I think if one went to cathedrals, you would find that the mul- a multitude of carol services are actually booked up completely. Um, and I know in my own church, um, the number of people that come at Christmas implies to me that there is a residual uh, perhaps more than a residual uh, adherence to the religious side of things. But of course, you know, I'm, I, I acknowledge that there are those who think of it quite simply as a time for you know, hmm. a, a time, as it were. But, but I do think that there is this, um, under, underlying it all, there is a residual um, sense of the religious story. That that religious sense, uh, do you feel that that is declining? Do you also have a sense of that as well? Um, well, that's what statistics would say. I think the statistics tend to be a little bit negative, and I think one, one does not have to go along that route. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, if, if you look at the census statistics, then um, there are fewer people who acknowledge that they who would give their religion as Christian um, than there used to be. But I'm conscious in what I do as as a vicar, that as I go around, as I meet people, that a lot of people have questions. uh, A lot of people are interested and I think perceive within themselves that that, um, spiritual yearning. So I'm not as negative about it uh, as quite a lot of people are. Mm. Uh, what do you think can be done to, to draw people back to understanding the religious significance and appreciate that rather than other aspects of, uh, of Christmas? Um, I think perhaps Christians need to be better at um, 
being upfront about their faith. I don't, mm. I don't sort of heavy-handed evangelism, but I mean quite simply being prepared to um, to say, you know, you know, what did you do this weekend? Well, actually, I went to church, or um, I went to church at Christmas, or whatever. Um, so I think there's there's an element about being um, more confident about our own faith. Mm. Um, I think that's the first thing I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, um, sadly, there's still a, a sense uh, that um, people think of the church as full of people who are good and who therefore look down on others, which I think is not the case at all. The reason why one is in church is because one is in need of forgiveness. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's a, a, a job of work to be done there in making sure that Christianity is something that is attractive, which in fact it is. Mm. You know, it is wonderful story um, uh, a wonderful faith Um, and I think being prepared to answer people's questions um, or indeed to say well actually that's something we don't know but we have faith about it Mm. Mm. very interesting Uh, my colleague has some questions if you don't mind uh, good morning, Reverend, uh, Reverend Deborah Foreman. Um, thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. I, I know you're a regular contributor to to our radio station. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, there there are many practices during the Christmas period, mm. such as uh, decorating Christmas tree, <coughs> sending gifts and cards. Are these uh, traditional norms, or do they hold any religious significance? Um, I think um, that's a really interesting question. And um, the Christmas tree actually came over from Germany. I think that's with, with Prince Albert. Um, however, there is something wonderful, and this is something that Jane Williams talks about in her her book, Preparing uh, Approaching Christmas, about uh, a blurring of boundaries which happens at Christmas. So you bring this tree, this living tree, into your house. Now, normally we spend most of our time trying to keep the outside world outside and the inside world separate. But as we bring in this tree, we blur and decorate it and give it pride of place. We're sort of blurring the outside and the inside. And I think that's um, part of the message of Christmas, is it not? You know, you have this infant, God, the creator of all that is, um, outside time suddenly comes to be part of time as a tiny baby. There's a blurring of boundaries there. Um, there's a blurring of boundaries. I often talk about it as an upside-down uh, story where you've got shepherds um, who normally live out on the on the hillside, you know, coming in, coming down to the stable. You would normally expect a baby to be born inside with safety, but that's not the case. So... Uh, I think the Christmas tree, uh, one can see it as that blurring boundaries. One could also say that um, you're using an evergreen tree and the love of God is evergreen. Um, as regards um, presents and so on, well, we would think the gift, the gift of Jesus is an amazing gift. And when we give presents to others, I would hope that we might remember that um, we have received the greatest gift and therefore we give ourselves. Um, yeah. So there, there is something in there that is religious as well as um, quite simply a nice thing to do. Thank you. Um, also, um, if you can also explain, what is the, what in the, what is the atmosphere of the uh, festive season and do you think, uh, do, do you think attracts all people? 
Um, <clears throat> that's a very interesting question. I, I think it does attract all people. Um, I think the sense of, of celebration is something that people need um, as well. Um, and I would hope that that sense of giving is something that is part of human desire, really, to, to give to others. Um, Great. Yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting question, yeah, I think. Thank you. Um, I also had a, another question uh, from my side, um, more of a, theolo- a theological uh looking at the theological side of it uh, to be honest looking at the birthday of uh, Jesus um, i mean we find uh, if we read uh Luke chapter 2 verse 8 you know looking at the birth of Jesus it says that um there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby uh watching over their flocks at night um i mean th- when we read this particular couplet it, it, it shows that you know um if it was the winter period um shepherds wouldn't be uh watching over their flocks at night i mean it'd be really as it would be quite cold but i i'm interested to uh hear what your views are on on uh, the birthday of jesus and it's it's a very interesting and again an interesting question and i could give you a really complicated answer um or an answer but a suggestions but i'd probably be going on for about 50 minutes um which i think you probably don't want um one of the ways of looking at it is if one goes back to um to um john the baptist um and his father zechariah in the temple and it has been one of the theories has been that he was in the temple for the feast of tabernacles in the end of september went back home and um Elizabeth subsequently became pregnant and therefore the six months which is when Mary went to visit her uh would be in March and therefore you move nine months on from there you come to December um so that's certainly perhaps the one of the easiest ways of looking at uh the, the date that mm. we have with um but but there are other other issues as well um but i think that's that's probably the one that i will uh give to you if i say you don't want me to go on for 50 minutes on all the different uh, ways of looking at it no great thank thank you so much uh, for that um also my my colleague here uh, he also has a question to ask so uh, i'll pass the mic on yeah. to Okay, thank uh, yeah. you. So one more question. So basically, uh, many people nowadays use Christmas as a profitable time for their business. So do you think that more people are moving away from the original Christmas spirit of spreading kindness and what can be done about it to mm. and make them understand the concept of it? Right, the, the commercial side of things, you're <coughs> quite right, uh, does seem to take over. Um, I think we have... I think one of the things that has happened is that we have become a society where we view the amount of money we spend on things as an indication of you know how much we think about people and I would like to I would love to reverse that so that we didn't just 
pour out money all over the place, but thought about the individual we were giving to and give something small that mattered to them. Um, I think the giving of gifts, is, as I've already said, is, in, is important. Um, but then, of course, you would you would have a whole economy would saying, "Oh my goodness me, what's what's happening? Is it going to implode? We're no longer going to make our money at Christmas." Um, I think there's a, a middle way to be to be chosen there. Um, I, I don't think one can completely reverse it, but as I've said before, I think there is something that, as as people of faith, we can do in terms of highlighting the story and the kindness that the story of peace and goodwill which the world needs to hear very badly at, certainly at this moment in time um, it always does but it seems particularly poignant uh, this particular year um, yeah yeah no, th- thanks very much uh, um, uh, Vicar uh, I mean this must be a very busy season for you uh, or bu- busy part of the year for you uh, as part of the um, uh, celebration of Christmas, do, do you actually give a service on Christmas Day at all the churches? Yes, yes. In most churches there will be a service on Christmas Eve at 11.30 for midnight mass, and then there'll be a service in the morning on Christmas Day as well. Okay. And as yeah. dean, do you have to go around all the churches give, uh, giving this service, or um, uh, are there other vicars that uh, do the job for you? Oh, there, I mean... Each parish has, or each group of parishes has uh, a clergy person mm-hmm. would, who, who will do those services. That is part of what we take on. Okay. I think one other thing I was going to say, which I, I meant to say in one of my other responses, was one of the things that is always um, attention, in a sense, is that Christmas itself doesn't really begin until the 25th of December. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the secular world, you, by the time you get to the 26th of December, everything to do with Christmas has been cleared out. Mm. Uh, and uh, whereas for the church, the Christmas period goes on until um, February the 2nd. Really? Uh, yes. right. um, uh, so it starts on Christmas Day and goes up to February? Yes, whereas ah. the secular world, you see, has... Uh, the, no, according to Richard Maidley, it starts in November. I don't know whether you saw that exchange with him and uh, one of the union leaders. I was. Uh, and that's his, uh, yeah. no, that that's Advent, so that's the uh-huh. time of preparation for Christmas. Right. Um, okay. So. No, no. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for uh, uh, shedding light on this on this particular aspect of Christmas. And uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Uh, uh, Mount we also spoke to. Um, uh, Dexter Peg- Peggins, shall we listen to her now, or should we um, listen to him now? Or yes, uh, I, I was also thinking the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I had a chance to interview Dexter Peggins Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, from uh, USA. So uh, let's listen in as to what he has to say. So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station Dexter Peggins Jr. And you're a husband, a father, a veteran, minister, and a business o- owner. And these are some of the hats worn uh, by Dexter Peggins Jr. And Dexter, your personal mandate is to help people get clarity concerning their purpose, overcome life's what-ifs, and win in difficult situations. And the diversity of your experience have made you a sought-after speaker in the area of leadership and personal development and a trusted advisor 
for those dealing with life's most crucial issues. So thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Thank you for having me. So Dexter, the article we're looking at is the segment, it's on Christmas, and it suggests that the most, most Christians and non-Christians alike, they celebrate all Christmas. Um, now, while some do it for its true purpose, others do it as a celebration of the holiday season. Now, I wanted to ask you, what is your perspective on Christmas being treated as a holiday festival instead of its religious significance? That's a, a really good question. Um, to be honest with you, I'm actually fine with the idea of celebrating Christmas as a holiday festivity. Uh, my personal sentiments are that I acknowledge Christmas uh, as a symbolic day that represents the gift of Jesus Christ being given unto the world. Uh, and it's within this framework, in, in that sentiment, that I celebrate Christmas. However, in, in all honesty, Christmas is not something that was mandated by Jesus Christ. You know, let's be honest with that. Uh, so I believe it can be become a fruitless conversation or a fruitless argument to insist that one has to be a Christian to participate in functions set around December 25th. Uh, personally, and one of the things I share with people uh, is, a, is a passage of Scripture that comes out of Romans 14, uh, and, and the gist of it says that, uh, you know, one person might esteem one day above another, and, and another esteems each day alike. Uh, and in this regard, I believe that every day can be considered a holiday based upon the perspective of that individual. Great. Thank you so much for that. Now, looking at the birthday of uh, Jesus Christ, there are different views regarding that within Christianity. And some think that it's not on the 25th of December. I, I wanted to ask you, is there a passage, a biblical passage, that indicates when Jesus was born or any other Christian reference that can be shared with, with our listeners? Uh, to be honest, uh I don't believe, personally, I don't believe that Jesus was born on the 25th of December. Uh, now, within the framework of the scriptures, the second uh, chapter of Luke, it speaks of uh, shepherds living in the field, uh, and they were tending to their flock at night uh, when they encounter an angel who tells them about the birth of Jesus. Uh, I've never been to Israel, uh, and so I'm making an assumption when I say that the weather may have been a little hard to live in the fields in the middle of winter. Uh, also, in this same passage, uh, we know that there was this huge world census uh, taking place. And so to answer your question, I actually believe that if we can determine the time of that census, uh, I believe that we'll have a better idea of the actual uh, time in which Jesus was born. And so for the simple fact that we see the shepherds in the field, uh, sleeping, living in the field. Uh, I believe that Jesus was probably born uh, maybe maybe in the spring or during the warmer months. However, I could be totally wrong. It could be perfectly fine, great weather uh, in Israel during the winter. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I believe ultimately that the reason we came to celebrating Christmas in December uh, has a great deal of connection to a lot of the other religious festivities that were taking place 
uh, in earlier centuries, and I believe that time frame was given to us to compete with those uh, rivaling uh, festivities. Great. Thank you so much for that. And also, uh, Dexter, what is the significance of Christmas for you, and how should it be celebrated? Wow, awesome question. Uh, For me, uh, Christmas is a reminder of God's greatest expression of love. Uh, As I mentioned before, Christmas represents God giving us Jesus Christ. Uh, The gift of Christ is not something that, uh, personally, I knew that I needed at first. Uh, It was something that I didn't deserve. Uh, but it's something that I'm glad to say that I've been given. And so I believe that Christmas should be celebrated with the spirit of gratitude, kindness, and love. And if we can have this level of intention in our celebration, uh, I believe that we will all experience a Merry Christmas. Great. Thank you so much. And, you know, nowadays, especially um, as uh, this festival is becoming more and more commercialized, I wanted to ask you, Dexter, do you think that uh, people are moving more away from religion and moving away from the essence of, uh, you know, when when they look at the theme of Christmas? Uh, What's what's your view on that? I actually do believe that uh, Christmas uh, has become very commercialized, Mm. uh, so much so to the point that... um, you know, we're we're championing people buying, you know, Black Fridays and all of these earlier, you know, uh, invitations to start buying up gifts earlier in the season. And in the reality, I, I believe that the focus has gotten away from the love aspect, um, the consideration for other aspects, you know, the things that really brought Christmas to the forefront. Um we're now fixated on on going into debt to buy gifts that we can't even afford just to say, hey, I love you or I care about you, when in reality it was never about the tangible gift but the spirit behind the gift. Mm-hmm. And if we can get back to that, I think, once again, we will uh, we'll be in the vein of the original intent when Christmas was uh, created. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Dexter Peggins Jr., for... Uh, coming on the show today and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Right, so that was uh, Dexter Piggins, Jr., uh, giving his uh, take on uh, this particular issue. Uh, Moving back to what we found on the websites regarding Christmas, um, one of the things that has been addressed as to why is Christmas celebrated, um, and as far as the Christian perspective is concerned, Christmas is celebrated uh, on the 25th of December as the date of the birth of Jesus. Uh, some Orthodox uh, Christians celebrate it not on the 25th of December, but on the 7th of January, a day after the Epiphany. Uh, Jesus was born to Mary in, uh, in Nazareth in Galilee, according to the Christian view. Uh, when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem in a local inn, again, according to the uh, Christian view, the innkeeper let them in 
uh, and uh, let them stay in the rock cave below his house in an animal stable, which is where Mary gave birth to Jesus. Uh, and again, according to the Christian perspective, Jesus' birth story is also known as the nativity. And children have nativity plays in schools to remember the story of the birth of Jesus. And as part of the liturgical uh, calendar, Christians prepare for Christmas uh, four Sundays before Christmas, 40 days before Christmas, known as Advent, which uh, what uh, the Reverend was uh, referring to, we spoke to earlier. Um, do all Christians believe Jesus was born on the 25th of uh, December? Well, um, uh, some Orthodox Christians celebrate Christmas on the 7th of January. Although some Christians do not believe Christmas is celebrated on 25th December, it is the symbolic celebration that happens on this day. It is celebrated as a symbol of Jesus' birth, whether or not he was born on this exact day or not. Uh, many Orthodox and Coptic churches still use the Julian calendar and so celebrate Christmas on the 7th of January, uh, which is when December the 25th would have been on the Julian calendar. The Armenian Apostolate Church celebrates it on the 6th of January. In some parts of the UK, uh, January 6th is also called Old Christmas. So we'll be discussing this and a lot more after the news. So do stay with us. Don't go away. After this very short break, we'll have the news. And after that, we'll continue with discussion on this. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Right. Um, continuing with this uh, particular topic uh, about uh, Christmas, uh, we do have a clip that we want to share. Uh, so let's hear what this uh, has to offer. His question is um, regarding the origin of Christmas. Um, and he says, is it true that the origins of a form of Christmas was pagan and celebrated in Europe long before anyone there had heard of Jesus Christ? If this is correct, then what is the actual time or date of birth of Jesus? Um, and obviously, just to be absolutely clear, you know, as we've left, left this um, uh, December, kind of this month in which um, so many Christians around the world do celebrate um, you know, the life of, of, of Prophet Jesus, um, and also uh, believe it to be a time of you know kind of peace peace on earth. You know that obviously the, the spirit in which the peace on earth is is exhibited is is, is something to be um, applauded. But what the question is simply asking is on a factual basis. Um, you know there are there are questions have been raised as to whether the, this period of December is actually correct and whether this idea of celebrating the birth of, of, of a prophet has come from within Christianity itself or whether it was born before. So perhaps you can shed some light on that. Dr. Sab, did you want to? Well, no one, no one knows when Jesus was born. But I think one thing we do know is that he was de definitely not born in December. And um, the Bible speaks of uh, this, that uh, when Jesus was born, the shepherds were tending to their flock at night. And the Judean uh, winter nights in December are very cold, and they would have not done that. Also, the Holy Quran speaks of uh, this is in, in, in the fact that the, there were dates on the date palms, and this does not occur in, in December. And uh, Hazrat Maryam was told to wash in the stream, and again, in icy cold waters, that would not be possible. And I think researchers are, are probably agreed on the fact that Jesus was possibly born August, September time. So that is as far as the timing of the birth of Jesus is, is concerned. Um, and then, as far as the second question uh, uh, about the origins of, of Christmas, 
um, uh, why, why the 25th of December. Um, and this certainly, I think, has been accepted that the, there are pagan origins to, to that as well. In ancient Babylon, they celebrated on the 25th of December a feast of the son of Isis um, in which there was partying, glutinous eating and drinking, and gift-giving gift giving, as happens uh, at time of Christmas here, as, as ha has happened. In Rome, the winter solstice used to be celebrated uh, many, many years before the advent of Jesus, and there was much merrymaking in that instance as well. In ancient Rome, the tradition of the murmurs was born, where people would dress up and go house to house singing and entertaining people, so perhaps the carol singers uh, have come from that. Pagans of Northern Europe also celebrated winter solstice, which is known as the Yule. So all these um, pagan festivals did take place uh, ar around the globe. Um, in, it was in, in the year 350, as we are told by historians, that Pope Julius I declared that the birth of Jesus would be celebrated on the 25th of December. And there is uh, little doubt um, among people that that also was chosen deliberately so that the uh, majority who were pagans still at that time would uh, be easier to convert to Christianity knowing that they could continue to celebrate their feasts. Exactly. Beamsa, was there anything you wanted to add on this point? About yeah, I, I just think that uh, one, thing, one thing that's important is that um, this is not something that we are saying um, in, in light of the heart of anyone's feelings or anything like that. This is something that Christian scholars uh, and the church itself recognize. I would just demonstrate, just as an example, uh, from their own, from, from Christian literature, where, where it says that about Christmas, that the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th, a feast of Western origin that replaced the pagan feast of the unconquered, unconquered son and eventually became common to all Christian churches. I mean, so it, it, is, it is widely acknowledged by uh, the church itself and other um, Christian organizations that it is, has come from a pagan uh, festival on the 25th of December. So um, it's not divinely inspired that he was born on the 25th of December yes. and this, this was something which was designated by God. Right, so that was um, an extract from uh, one of the uh, questions and answers that uh, I believe was perhaps on MTA um, that uh, we have just featured uh, concerning uh, the reality of when uh, the birth of uh, Jesus took place and uh, how uh, Christmas uh, became a festival entwined with uh, what used to be pagan festivals that were also celebrated uh, around this time. And uh, I just want to give a plug to the Ahmadiyya Bulletin, which is running this story, Reality of Christmas, uh, based on uh, Tahir Selby's uh, notes. Uh, so if you want to know more about it, then uh, please do access the website ahmadiyabulletin.org. Right. Um, so uh, we need to also give an Islamic perspective, Imam Sufi. Uh, yes. <clears throat> so, I mean, uh, uh, it's been a very interesting uh, uh, subject on this. Um, and uh, I wanted to read the commentary of Hazrat Muslim on what he has given. Mm -hmm. uh, so, where it says in, in the Bible, as 
as we were also uh, mentioning earlier as well the chapter Luke um, uh, second chapter verse 7 and 8 I'll read the the first two verses and it says and she gave birth to her firstborn a son and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them and it further says that and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby watching over their flocks at night um <clears throat> so on this on the on the on the verse or that uh, there were shepherds uh, living out in fields nearby watching over their flocks as a muslim or the second caliph of the amdiya muslim community um may allah the almighty have mercy on him he explains that while narrating about the birth of jesus it states in one of the gospels and now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping night uh, watch over their flock he he comments on this saying that obviously it was the summer instead of extreme winter the weather in palestine in december is not only very cold but also extremely rainy and foggy and who can expect that in such weather the shepherds had come out in the fields along with their fo- in the, w- along their flock it is clear that it was summer and he further says that therefore uh, in peak's commentary on the bible while commenting on luke's statement uh, principal aj greve uh, he states that it could not be the month of december and that the tradition of christmas day which was initially found in the west had begun some time later and in his book the rise of christianity uh, bishop um bishop ernest williams um he he writes that uh, there is moreover no authority for the belief that 25th of december was the actual birth date of jesus and if we can give any credence or to the birth story of luke with the shepherds keeping watch by night in the fields near bethlehem the birth of jesus did not take place in winter and when the night temperature is so low in the hill country of judea that snow is not uncommon after much argument on our christmas day seems to have been uh, accepted about 300 ad um so you know from what these references we find that uh, even um even within uh, you know even, even uh, such as i gave the reference of um ernest williams and uh, also before that as well which suggests that uh, amongst uh, some christians as well they also believe that uh, it was not this period uh, that jesus was born but it would have been later on in in the warmer period uh, commenting on this further as a muslim i said that therefore in light of these references it is evidence that the birth of jesus did not occur in december uh, he says that it is possible that the census of 7 ad took place in december and in an attempt to take advantage of this luke linked it to the year of birth obviously luke had written the books 70 to 80 years later and thus could not have been remembered as to when exactly the census happened um any further says that from this commentary which is also supported by the incidents from roman history and the gospel traditions the reason behind the holy quran mentioning the incident of the ripened dates becomes very clear so 
it also mentions in the Holy Quran in chapter 19 verse 23 um, regarding the uh, birth of Jesus and regarding this uh, particular incident it says and I quote in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful and shake towards thyself the trunk of the palm tree it will cause fresh ripe dates to fall upon thee and uh, on commenting on this verse Hazrat Muslim out uh, he explains that the Holy Quran states that Jesus was born in the season of ripening dates and December is not the time for ripening dates rather it is July and August and moreover we find that God Almighty had told Mary about a stream of water as well where she could take she could give a bath to a newly born child and cleanse himself as well and he says that from this we come to know that it was month of July or August otherwise it could it would have been unwise to take a bath herself and give bath to the child at the stream which is cold weather of December especially on the mountains place in the north of Arabia nonetheless uh, Christian history uh, Christian history asserts that Jesus was born in in December and even if we concurred with the with this for the sake of argument then the issue arise that the Holy Quran states um, that the angel asked Mary um, in chapter 19 verse 26 um, and shake towards thyself the trunk of the palm tree it will cause fresh ripe days to fall upon thee thus it is true that Jesus was born in December then the question arises <coughs> as to why the Quran mentioned dates whereas dates do not mature in that season and in order to avoid this question the commentators of the Holy Quran have written that Mary went to the date palm in order to get support in her painful condition and commentators wondered that if Christians assert that Jesus was born in December then why did Mary go to the fruitless date palm tree since it were very unlikely for dates to ripen in December and in response they assume that she approached the palm tree for support due to her painful condition however they did not contemplate along with the words that and shake towards thyself the the trunk of the tree it will cause fresh ripe dates to fall um, so very beautifully uh, as a uh, Muslim or the saying that uh, well some of the commentators of the Holy Quran they've mentioned that uh, uh, the reason why she had gone to the palm tree was uh, just to get support in her painful condition as she was in labor uh, but as a Muslim says they don't ponder over the whole verse that uh, if you read the whole verse the following verse it says Fakuli, so eat so not only did she go there to for support, but she shakes the tree and then fresh dates uh, are dropped. So mm. it had to be the winter season. Um, but commenting on this, he, uh, as a Muslim, I'll say just because they had in their minds the Christian belief about the birth of Jesus in December and the fact that uh, date palms do not ripen that season, they interpreted mm. that she went near the fruitless date palm um, and oh. just for getting support in a painful condition. However, some commentators have pondered over the words uh, and wrote that it was a miracle that upon shaking the infertile date palm tree, fresh dates had uh, fallen upon her. 
So some even commented on saying that uh, this was a miracle from mm. God that mm. uh, in the winter period somehow uh, fresh dates had fallen. Mm. Um, and he further says that the second point of concern is that this incident took place in Judea and the Holy Quran mentions the dates and biblical history tells us uh, that olives, almonds and uh, grapes were found in that area but it does not mention dates and strangely December is not the season of almonds, grapes and olives so as a Muslim he says that so let us see whether date palm trees were found in that area uh, that are said by the Gospels to, to be Jesus's place of birth and uh, then has a Muslim or then gives a reference that uh, even within that area we see from the Bible there were date palms and he gives the reference of Judges chapter 1 verse 16 where it says that the descendants of Moses father-in-law uh, the Kenite went up from the city of palms with the people of Judah to live among the inhabitants of the desert of uh, Judah in the Negev near Arad. So here it also mentions the city of Palm. So referring to that, uh, that within that place, there were also uh, date palm trees. Uh, so that was a um, commentary of Hazrat Muslim on um what it says in the Holy Quran and also what it says within the Bible. Um, Imam Freed, if you want to also uh, mention anything on this, then please go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to say that um, just like Christmas celebrated by <coughs> uh, the Christians on the 25th of December, some of the uh, Muslims as well, they do celebrate the birthday of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in some countries, and it's uh, called as Milad, so which is the birthday of the uh, the Holy Prophet, and they decorate the streets throughout the country with the lights and balloons and oil lamps, and they set up huge tents to make arrangements for the people to join the celebration, and when the day arrives, they gather in large numbers, sing poems, praising their beloved Prophet, and they light and they do all sorts of stuff as well and they do speeches as well praising the prophet and all that now we need to bear in mind the fact that the muslims have been celebrating this milad festival for centuries uh, there's an imam ibn taymiyyah who is an islamic scholar and, and to some he is also a mujaddid of the seventh century uh, mujaddid means a reformer of the age and <coughs> He has written about Milad in his book, Iqtada Sirat Mustaqim. Uh, so, in that particular book, he has touched upon the fact that uh, yes, Muslims do celebrate Milad, but it's just like Christians celebrating Christmas. So, he says that uh, indeed Muslims have taken this concept from the Christians. So, this is what he had to say. But the most important point over here is that Muslims have been celebrating this uh, thing and it, the proof of the fact is that this guy who was from 7th century uh, AD that is um, of the 7th century AD he says that Muslims of my time do celebrate it so this is what we but now the other question arises that we don't celebrate uh, and some other Muslims also did not celebrate it either so it's not that all the Muslims in the you can say the world celebrated. Now, what is the reason why we don't celebrate it? One of the reasons is, in fact, 
The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, once said in a hadith, in a narration that, uh, and the Arabic is that, Fihi wulittu wa fihi unzila ilayya. Now the translation of the whole hadith is that it was narrated from Abu Qatada, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, that the Messenger of Allah uh, was asked about fasting on Mondays. And he said, and I quote, On it I was born, and on it revelation came to me. So this narration tells us that we should fast on the on the day that our beloved prophet was born rather than celebrate his birthday and as far as celebrating one's own birthday is concerned there are different views even amongst the Jamaat Ahmadiyya there are different views as well so some have a strict view on it and they say that shouldn't be allowed and the others are a bit lenient and as far as our Khalifa Hazrat Mizam Masroor Aban may Allah strengthen his hand he once said in his, you can say, in his classes with uh, Lajna Nasrat, he said that we are allowed to celebrate it as long as it happens at the home, inside the home, but to hold large gatherings and to invite people and to expect them to come as well and to give gifts uh, and to exchange gifts and converting into a party, that is wrong. And secondly, <coughs> The second reason why we don't celebrate it is that it's an innovation in it's an innovation as in it's something new and it's if it is got nothing to do with Islam, so if anything which is an innovation and it's got nothing to do with Islam, it cannot be first up obligatory, it cannot be deemed as first. Secondly, it's up to you whether you want to do it or not. And as far as you can say, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessing of Allah be upon him and his companions are concerned, the uh, Holy Prophet never celebrated his birthday and his companions also and he, even his caliphs as well, they never celebrated the birthday. And uh, we mostly follow the teachings of the Prophet, his companions and his um, caliphs. So what happened after the after they were they passed away is none of our concern because if they if these three people uh, groups of people are not doing it, then we shouldn't be doing it as well. That's the Islamic perspective on it. Well, thank you very much. Um, I think it's uh, quite significant what you said. Um, uh, and it's also significant that um, in uh, the contributions that we've had uh, so far about um, the celebration of Christmas, um, it's quite clear that the, for the first three centuries after Jesus, uh, this was not celebrated. It only became to be celebrated either in 340 or 350. Uh, as the birth of Jesus. Jesus himself did not celebrate his birthday, nor did his disciples. And uh, it's also interesting that uh, when we talk about the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, like uh, Imam Freedib said, he did not celebrate his birthday, nor did uh, in the way that uh, is being celebrated uh, by some Muslims. And uh, neither did his companions. And uh, I've just got a quote here from the fourth caliph of the Amdi Muslim Committee, Hazrat Amirza Tayram, and also which uh, sheds further light uh, on birthdays. It says that <coughs> birthdays, he said, uh, <coughs> said that birthdays are not an Islamic tradition in themselves. In the early centuries of light, when Islam was pure, when Islam was all that it was created for, Nobody ever held birthdays in memory of anyone else. For instance, Hazrat Muhammad, peace, peace be upon him, 
his birthday, uh, he was the founder of Islam, was never celebrated by his followers or by the followers of his followers or by the followers who followed in the generations thereafter. It's a Western concept wedded to Islam and unfortunately in, in, West, in the Western traditions. These are just celebrations created irresponsibility. They are creating irresponsibility rather than responsibility. Sometimes they create disorder. Sometimes they create disturbance of the peace. So this is uh, an extract from a question and answer session that was recorded on the 25th of November 1984 of uh, on him. And as earlier, as mentioned earlier, the followers of Jesus were also uh, not let, uh, least bit interested in celebrating the birth of Jesus. Um, and the Gospels certainly do not mention or the early Christian literature does not mention any such celebration. So it is something that uh, caught caught hold uh, much later than the end, advent of these uh, great personalities. Shall we move on, Imam Toki? Uh, Toki, what is the what is the uh, state of play now? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, of course. Second half. Uh, yeah, <laughs> extra <no>. time. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we hope we hope that our listeners have enjoyed uh, this particular topic um, on 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 this. Uh, now we're going to be moving swiftly on to our next topic. Um, so, uh, uh, Brother Walid, <coughs> if you can yes. please uh, walk us through. All right. So the, the, this is regarding uh, women make history with first ever all women uh, referee team taking charge at men's World Cup. Uh, and we have uh, uh, to kick off, if I can use that phrase, uh, this particular topic, Stephanie Hilborn, who is the CEO of uh, Women in S- Sport. Thank you very much for coming on to speak to us, uh, uh, Stephanie. Oh, good to, good to be here. Thank you. Uh, what are the goals of the Women in Sports charity? I understand you're the, you're the CEO of that. Uh, what are your objectives? Well, it's interesting. It was set up, the charity, in 1984 because there were so many fewer women and girls playing sport um, and it felt very unfair. And our, our main objective really is to, to help women and girls in their lives, to be happier and healthier, to help women at work, um, to share out the joy a bit from sport because it, sport can be so brilliant for you in every way, physically mm. and mentally. And we know that um, girls and women have often missed out a lot and some of the biggest health inequalities are around mental health and anxiety particularly in teenage girls and also issues like osteoporosis and bone fractures which can be avoided by a lot of um, exercise when you're young and also throughout your life so um, it's sort of quite big goals really Mm -hmm. for the charity. Yeah and how do do, uh, people access uh, what you have to offer? How do they come to know and how do you engage uh, with those people who need your, uh, your, your assistance? Well, we're a very small charity and we work nationally. So what we do is we work with the organisations that have people out on the ground running sports clubs and running sports, whether it's cricket or football, and try and help them understand how to engage more girls. So if you're out in the community, it's about looking for local clubs um, it's about the sport that's offered at school or isn't, and we're very keen to see better sport offered there. Um, so people can engage with us um, in terms of the general points and the understanding of how we can change. But we don't offer um, 
particular clubs on the ground. That's what's offered by other by other groups. Mm-hmm. And do you find that the take up of what we have to offer is increasing, uh, or is it declining now? Oh no, I think there's been a lot more interest in in sport. I think there's a lot of demand for from girls to play, and uh, the challenge is actually, particularly with the crisis hitting the leisure centres and things, actually having the opportunities. So um, there's, there's there's the enthusiasm there, and our research shows that a lot of the girls who who drop out of sport in their teenage years would actually love to play it. So we worked out about a million, over a million girls used to love sport but don't mm-hmm. play anymore. And some of the big barriers are actually around um, stereotyping and the expectation girls won't do sport and they're very young. So mm-hmm. what we'd say, you know, to people who are interested in this issue is it's very much as much about the family around the girls and the school teachers and the clubs who are running things for boys to to make to make girls lives feel different by surrounding them with different expectations it's quite a, a big cultural thing in many ways mm-hmm. I don't want to hog the microphone I've got two colleagues who want to ask questions as well so I hope okay. you don't oblige yeah. not at all uh, good morning Stephanie thank you for joining us today um, we are discussing the all-female referee team at the World Cup. Um, I wanted to ask you, what can uh, girls and women take from this uh, historic event? It, well, it was really impressive to see um, Stephanie Frappard and her team um, out there refereeing the men. And I hope that it does inspire girls, to, uh, young girls and, and women to see that they've got a really important place in sport. I think the other thing I hope it will do is inspire boys and young men to, to see that, that women have that place because perhaps the most important thing about that is the respect that those men on the pitch were showing the women as people in sport. And I think that changing attitude that men expect women to be able to, to referee a, a vital World Cup football match and, and actually take a leading role in sport is just as important as the message it sends to girls. And and also when it comes to women in sports, do you, do you think they are under uh, presented? And if you can uh, elaborate on this uh, answer. Yeah, we do know from the statistics that uh, some of the government bodies collect that girls are still playing less sport than boys, and particularly in team sport where there's a twenty. 22% fewer girls. This last survey, uh, just very recently, 20%, over 20% fewer girls are playing team sport. And team sports, whether it's football or cricket or um, even rugby, are particularly important, we feel, for the development of life skills like leadership, teamwork, obviously, um, resilience, actually, mental resilience. That is, is something quite big about, about learning how to... Uh, try to strive to win something together and sometimes losing, you know, and quite often losing, most of the time losing in, in reality. So um, the, the gaps are really big in team sport and across the board, fewer <laughs> girls and women are active than men and boys. And that's not saying that enough men and boys are active because we've got major inactivity crises, but women are less represented. The final place I think that's really vital is in running a sport. So only out of the top 20 sports in this country, uh, only three or four women are, are running them in terms of being chief execs or 
performance directors um, or chairs of the of the sport. So there's a lot of places where women are still underrepresented for sure in sport. But but change is happening, um, and we just need to accelerate that. Great, thank you so much for that. My my colleague uh, also wants to ask a question. So. Oh yeah, one more question. So, what advice would you give our listeners in opening up the opportunities for women in sports? Well, there's there's quite <laughs> there's a few areas really. One in the community context, I think. And if you look at some examples, uh, setting up clubs is actually not that difficult. Um, the there's a club that was set up out of some women at university called Sisterhood FC, which is a Muslim football club for for women. Came out of Goldsmith Uni, I think. Um, and that seems a brilliant enterprise. There's also an initiative that Mazlahar and British Fencing uh, put together called Muslim Girls Fence. So there's the, the way through the clubs, the communities, through the sports. Um, and then the other bit of advice I would say is if you're a, a brother, if you've got a sister, you're a boy with a sister, um, encourage her because actually the behavior of your brother and the support your brother can give you as a young girl is often really important for a girl to get into sport. Probably the worst thing is a brother teasing you for, for, for not being as good, whereas if you actually play with your sister, they'll get, they'll get good. Um, and if you're a dad as well, make sure that you're investing as much in your daughter as your son, if you've got both. Um, because what we find is that dads often love sport and and it's their influence that can really change the lives of little girls if they if they give them that encouragement. So that, that's, those are probably the headline pieces of advice I'd say. And to the to the to the little girls and to the women, you know, we we can play sport. We can love playing sport, even if we didn't get that good when we were little. Um, and to your listeners, you know, that we can see that you can you can wear a hijab and play sport. You can play cricket. You can play football. You, you don't have to. To, to wear stupid clothes to play sport, frankly, and then that's been one of the issues across the board from a lot of communities, the sort of clothes that girls have been in the past expected to wear haven't been very um, encouraging, frankly. But, yeah, it's, it's so important that we get little girls and, and also women throughout their lives uh, out onto those pitches, onto the courts, and, and enjoying what sport can bring for our lives, I think. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Great stuff. Um, Wish you all the best for the uh, for your charity. Thank you very much for coming Thank on. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye then. Thank you. Bye bye. Um, so that was Stephanie Hibbon. Uh, she's the CEO of uh, one of the charities that uh, caters for uh, uh, women's uh, women in sport. Uh, right. Moving on. Uh, do we have an Islamic perspective in Montpellier? Yes. Uh, I mean, we're looking at uh, equality for this uh, for this particular subject, um, and. Uh, you know, is Islam <coughs> promotes equality, um, and uh, certainly, if we look at chapter sixteen, verse ninety-eight, God Almighty says in the Holy Quran, "In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful, and whosoever acts righteously, whether male or female, and is a believer, we will surely grant him a pure life, and we will surely bestow on such uh, their <coughs> reward according to the best <coughs> of their works." Um, and also on chapter 33, verse 36, it says in the Holy Quran, And surely men who submit themselves to God and women who submit themselves to Him, and believing men and believing women and obedient men and obedient women and truthful men and truthful women and men steadfast in their faith and steadfast women and men who humble and women who are humble and men who give alms and women who give alms and men who 
fast and women who fast and men who guard their chastity and women who guard their chastity and men who remember Allah much and women who remember him Allah has prepared for all of them forgiveness and a great reward so from these two particular verses we see that uh, God Almighty he hasn't differentiated um, rewards in any way and you know God Almighty says that whoever acts righteously whoever believes in him or whoever follow these commandments then for them the spiritual reward is the same um, so this is something that uh, uh, we want to highlight uh, in in this particular segment um, obviously not going into the whole debate as to um, you know what do do we agree with the whole situation but uh generally speaking uh what does islam say with equality um you know we wanted to cover this particular uh particular point um and also addressing girls and women of the amdi um, muslim community the the fifth caliph of the amdi muslim community He said that in today's world a lot is said about women's rights and yet these have been neglected in the past decades. Uh, they have failed to protect women with uh, any rights but now men of those countries have granted some equality and are speaking in favor of women. Any rights in recent times have been a result of necess- necessity rather than desire to progress. and from the very outset islam has established the rights of women upon based upon their role in society and in keeping their best interest at heart and if we uh, look at islamic history we need only to look at the example of azat aisha who attained a great status and who till this day can continues to be an example not only for muslim women but also for muslim men and where we hold her in high esteem because she was the wife of the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him we also respect and honor her for her own personal qualities nobility and achievements and she will always remain a role model for muslims and when we compare and contrast the status and 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 when we And, and and when we compare and contrast the status bestowed upon women in Islam compared to other religions it is like night and day uh so you know if, and if we study the um life of the holy prophet peace be upon him we find that uh, even you know the companions of the holy prophet peace be upon him they would seek the advice of azat aisha peace be upon her on various various aspects um and uh, you know it it is well known that uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him he said that whoever wishes to uh, learn about their faith or whoever wishes to know more about religion the holy prophet peace be upon him said that consult hazrat aisha peace be upon her um imam free that you you want to add anything uh, on this particular subject yeah so as far as hazrat aisha may I be pleased with her is concerned uh, she basically when uh, after the death of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him she started uh, teaching muslims about the islam and different narrations that uh, she had heard from her husband 
and uh, it's in fact she has narrated second most uh, narrations in the history of Islam so this is another achievement and the other thing most important thing is that it's not that after the death of her husband she did not she just kept the knowledge to herself she actually s- spread the knowledge and a lot of people used to come over and they would ask questions different questions and she would answer them and this is this was her role and she was a brilliant teacher and the other thing i would like to mention is that uh, a lot of women in the throughout the history have you can say contributed in different ways like hazrat uh, maryam uh, may allah be pleased with her uh, she when she was born uh, she was uh, uh, given to the temple as in she as well, her life was dedicated for the religious services now at that time uh, only men or you can say boys were you can say allowed to go to the temple and dedicate their lives for the service of their religion but this was the first time that a woman uh, was allowed as well so uh, as far as this uh, is concerned women do have their roles and plus uh, throughout the history of islam as well women have you can say uh, participated in uh, you can say nursing the injured after the wars and all that so we do see that uh, women do have a part to play in this life uh, and it's not that they are just constrict confined uh, to their homes in fact if they can play a part they are most welcome and we do have uh, our legendary mala association where um, it's only association for only women and they carry out a lot of work and only women do it no men are you can say uh, involved in this thing i mean uh, one one other thing uh, our, our guest she mentioned that uh, you know women in hijab that they can also do this sport while they're wearing hijab they can also do sport and this is um also a very good thing that you know wearing in a hijab uh, you know it doesn't restrict women in any way um and certainly this is what islam says that uh, you know muslim women um you know they they they, they can uh, you know go into great fields of research and great fields of science um and you know there there is no harm in that um but on the on the subject of uh, of the uh, of the hijab uh on on the veil uh we find that uh, uh not only does islam uh, it says that you know you should uh, dress modestly but also we see that there are christian uh, uh, narrations as well which encourage that you know you should you should cover yourself um and you should have modesty uh for example um we find in first corinthians chapter 11 verse five to six it says that but every woman who pray or prophesies with their heads uncovered dishonors their head and it is the same as her head shaved and for if a woman does not cover her head she might as well have her hair cut off but it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or have her head shaved then she should cover her head so this itself goes into the very extreme that you know women if they don't cover their heads as as if they they should shave their heads you know rather islam 
it says that there is no compulsion in in religion um and uh, you know it, it doesn't compel anyone to to do something but the, you know just wanted to mention this point here as well that uh, you know not only um islam <coughs> it encourages uh, modesty but we see that <coughs> in other religions as well it covers that um but just on that point uh, imam Tuki, uh, i i recall receiving a text from uh, one of my MD friends and he said that uh, he and his wife went to Greece mm. and uh, his wife obviously was wearing the hijab and um, and uh, she was aghast at looking at uh, some of the women that the way that they were uh, dressed uh, you know as, uh, what is it uh, you know uh, bare chests or half bare chests and uh, uh, legs not covered, and he said that uh, when we approached a cathedral, uh, a very famous cathedral there, outside there was a plaque, and it said that this is a cathedral. Please remember to uh, dress uh, accordingly and and respect this place. Cover uh, arms should be covered, uh, legs should be covered, and uh, uh, chest should not be uh, in any way uh, laid bare. And uh, he said that he chuckled to himself and talked to the public there. And he said that the only person who's allowed to go in there is my wife. Mm. None of you are allowed to go in there the way that you are dressed. So this point that you are making about the uh, even other religions wanting people, wanting ladies to be dressed modestly mm. is something that is uh, very true. And it is something that was certainly part of uh, Christianity. It is only in recent uh, decades that it has been abandoned. But this dress, uh, modesty of dress, is something that is uh, is found in other faiths as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, even if we look at the mother of Jesus, she has always been depicted as to yeah. wearing a well yeah. um, and dressing modestly. Um, we also find... Uh, other narrations within the Bible, for example, looking at First uh, Timothy <coughs> chapter two, verse six, it says that uh, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate life hairstyles or gold or pearl or expensive clothes, um, and uh, also if we now compare that to the the Holy Quran, you know, someone could ask ask the question that where is the word, uh, where is the word hijab used within the Holy Quran? But if we look at chapter twenty four verse thirty two, uh, <coughs> the verse reads, the verse reads, um, and in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, and that they draw their head coverings over their bosoms. So the word, the Arabic word here, which is being used, is bi henna. So this is a plural word, khumur, and the singular is khimar. And uh, Lane's lexicon it gives the uh, it gives the meaning that it's a woman's muffler or a veil, which she covers her head and the lower part of her face, leaving exposed only the eyes and some part of the nose. So we see that even here, the literal meaning on head covering is used in this in this uh, in this particular word. Um, 
as we are covering this uh, this topic i think it's uh, it's wise to also look at the subject of free mixing and uh, what does islam say with regards to free mixing you know should uh, should uh, should it be openly practiced should women and uh, men uh, mix in all certain um, situations and regarding this at an annual convention on the 29th of July 2017 his holiness said that man-made laws and regulations can never be free of defects and recently we have heard a lady from Sweden who organizes musical concerts on a large scale and has announced that at their annual concert this year only women will be invited to the concert and men will not be invited and her reason was that in the past years they experienced that men exhibited lewd and vulgar behavior towards the women and in some cases ending in rape and this is the conse- consequence of mixed gatherings that is why islam teaches that if you see a remote possibility of such disorder you should avoid it now those who level objection against islam are accepting the fact that in some situations separation <coughs> of gender is wise and in some places the option of making separate organizations for men and women has been discussed and this worldly society is also sensing the need of separate separating men and women and those who level allegation against us regarding the separate segregation of genders are now accepting the fact that in some situation separation is a must um now here in this statement his holiness was giving reference to a statement of a swedish comedian uh, her name is emma uh, kinkare and she mentioned that uh, even with regards to her concerts that she even suggested that well she believes that uh at times there should be gatherings of only men separate and women separately and reason for that is that <coughs> quite often uh, there have been cases of vulgar and inappropriate behavior um in these sort of gatherings so when islam uh w- lays down uh you know where it says that you know at certain situations there should be segregation there's a great wisdom behind that and even if we for example let us look at the annual convention the uh, the muslim community holds you know women have their own setup men have their own setup there there is segregation there but uh, women are free to have their own platform and you know men have their own platform and that should also be um understood when we are covering this uh, particular subject as well mm-hmm. and uh, I, i think it was important to cover this topic mm. of uh, free mixing here. Well, thank you very much for that. <coughs> I just want to re- reiterate what um, uh, Imam uh, Farid was saying about his Aisha as well, that uh, um, she was uh, considered to be an authority and um, in more than one instance she uh, would correct the understanding and interpretation of other companions, particularly of uh, Abu Hurairah, who was also a companion of the Holy Prophet, who happened to narrate the most number of uh, sayings of the Holy Prophet. But where there were certain uh, errors, uh, she's the one who uh, was able to point it out, and she's the one who was also then um, uh, accepted to be the, the correct authority. 
about this, and she was particularly adept, it is said, about the laws of inheritance. And when it came to matters of inheritance, it was to her that most companions would actually uh, refer refer their queries to. So that's very very true. And I just want to, I hope Imam Fareed does not mind. (laughs) I think he's bursting to say something. But um, uh, I just wanted to just mention uh, this uh, this text because I found it very uh, exhilarating. I mentioned it in roundabout ways. I've just found it again. He says, uh, this gentleman, Amzi uh, gentleman, says, we went to Athens about five years ago, myself and my wife. It was warm. My wife was horrified at the clothes worn by many of the young ladies. No shame, she uh, opined. We went to one of Athens' uh, main cathedrals. Outside was a plaque which said, this is a holy place, make sure your head is covered, your arms and legs are covered, your chest is covered. I told many of the people in Athens, you have wonderful cathedrals, but the only woman allowed in them is my wife. Over to you, uh, Manfred. Oh yeah, so, <coughs> as far as the veil is concerned, <coughs> there's another narration I can think of. It is that uh, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu the Holy Prophet may peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, was with his wife Hazrat Aisha, and uh, Hazrat Aisha uh, said that I wanted to watch uh, an acrobatic <coughs> show, uh, which was going on at that time. So Holy Prophet said that okay, you can, and he took her to that show where the people were performing some sort of acrobats. I'm not really sure because back in the days what sort of acrobats were they but anyways so she was standing on behind the prophet and she had her chin on his shoulder so it's not that she uh, they could look at her openly and it's the the way that was shielding her also shows you the fact that uh, having sort of a hijab a veil or something a barrier between men and women should be uh, observed at all times. <coughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Um, uh, Imam uh, Tokir, is there anything that you want to add before we uh, wrap up? No, uh, I think that's it from, from our side. Uh, mm. But if, uh, you know, if anyone, any of our listeners do want to get in touch or if they do have an opinion, they can do so by calling us on 02868778878 or you can even tweet to us at uh, Voice of Islam UK and uh, we will get back to you right so there's uh, less than uh, four minutes to go so uh, there is still time if uh, you want to get anything off your chest uh, regarding any of the things that we have been discussing Uh, if not then uh, uh, we'll have to wait till uh, the next time we're on Um, it uh, leaves us to uh, thank now that we're coming to the end of this broadcast to thank those people who have uh, contributed uh, in the preparation, our producer uh, Basirat uh, Siddiqui is worthy of our gratitude, and uh, so are her researchers, Neha Latif, Salia Bakhtiar. So, uh, thank you to them uh, for their contribution. And Muhammad Shafiq, our uh, uh, engineer, making sure that everything technically runs smoothly, is also deserving of our thanks and gratitude. And uh, we should not forget those uh, contributors who uh, either talked to us before or um, spoke to us during the course of the program. 
we had the pleasure of uh, speaking to Dexter Peggins, a junior, uh, a veteran minister and a business owner. And uh, that was a recording that we shared uh, with our listeners. And then we had uh, the good fortune to speak to Reverend Deborah Foreman, uh, the dean of Croydon, uh, who came on uh, to speak to us and elaborate uh, on uh, Christmas and the festival of Christmas and how it is celebrated and uh, its significance uh, in uh, the current day. And then uh, we also had um, the pleasure of speaking to Stephanie Hilburn. Uh, she's the CEO of uh, Women in Sport. And that was when we were looking at the fact that uh, the, we've had now uh, a breakthrough many uh, in certain quarters are welcomed, which is of female referees, uh, all female referees, uh, um, adjudicating or uh, taking part in uh, men's World Cup uh, in one of the World Cup matches in 2022 in the World Cup that we recently had in Qatar so that was uh, uh, something that uh, stimulated our interest in this particular topic so with that um, uh, we'll be back again on Monday to Friday from uh, 7 to 9 o'clock on the breakfast show so it is uh, assalamu alaikum from me and uh, um, Imam Tokir and uh, Imam Farid Ahmed. So there'll be short interlude after that. You'll have news. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs>